Hi, my name is Tatiana Merced, and you're listening to the first episode. Wait, this is this is not the first episode. I mean, the second episode of Musically Driven. Here we'll be talking about our favorite iconic people of color who have changed the music game over time. That was embarrassing. This is definitely the second episode of Musically Driven. Alright, so hey everyone, I'm currently on spring break and there are a few things that I need to clear the air about with you guys because I kind of messed up. Okay, well my last episode I did say that I'd be um, releasing every two weeks and my next episode will be February 26th and I am very aware that today is March 6th, uh, Monday, March 6th. So, <laughs> why am I so late? One, because I'm not going to lie to you. My research was not as good as I thought it was, and when I went to record my next episode, I did not like it. That's really what it was, and I wasn't going to give you basura work. wasn't going to do that. The other reason why I think that I had a hard time releasing two was because I really wanted the next episode to be jazz music with Dr. Dudley. Um, Unfortunately, and this is a mistake on my part, I was having a hard time getting into a system to submit to get permission to interview people for my podcast because what happens is I have to submit something to IRB which is the uh, institution review board and they review my project to give me the clear to interview people it's just like a liability thing with the school so I have to make sure that I'm doing that so that I can interview people so you guys can hear from lovely people and so that you know they can get it's consensual like for me to put this out there so Dr. Dudley if you're listening to this, our episode will come out. I have all the audio. Everything is working fine. I just have to make sure that I record that stuff. I mean, I record that stuff. I mean, put that stuff through IRB, and then that episode should come out soon, which you guys might get a double whammy. Did someone just text me while I'm doing this? Oh, anyway. <laughs> See, I don't like the clicky clanking. Okay, also, I wanted to make something really clear about my last episode. The audio wasn't super hot, so sorry about that. Um, That's mostly because, okay, funny story. (laughs) All right, so this is a learning experience for me, right? The levels on this is really high. Is this better? Let's see if this is better. But, okay, so this is very much a learning experience for me. I don't record very much. I, even though I'm a voice major at Crane, I still don't record my voice very much. And so I'm using all this technology and all this equipment that I don't use very much. So I went into the studio to record my panel thing that I did my first episode. And when I came back into the booth, everything was gone. I was like, absolutely not. This is getting ridiculous. Um... Wow, so me and my friend Zion, which you guys heard Zion on the show, which I hopefully she can come back on, so she's very great. Um, anyway, actually, all of them are great. Everyone's great. <laughs> and they had such great points, and I hope I can bring them back to talk about, like, the points I'm making now and how they, uh, 
what they took out of what I've been doing. But anyway, so everything was gone. Gone. I was really upset. Near tears upset. But um, then I like had to call them up and I was like, hey, if you can come back, that'd be really cool. But they could not come back. So Zia was the only one with me. And then I had a friend, TJ, that I already asked, but he couldn't do the time I wanted originally because he was working. But because we ran so over, uh, I ended up doing it the time that he could do it. So I was like, hey, if you want to come back and record this with me, that'd be mwah, beautiful, right? So he did. He came back. He came back. He recorded everything with me and Zion. I was like, yes, I have something. I felt awful about Jalen and Patressa because, you know, I wanted them to be on my show too. <laughs> me not realizing that lovely Pro Tools saves all your audio tracks afterwards. Um, I had a podcast. I had it all in one folder. I was like, interesting. So I recorded two of these shits. So, but because I felt bad about not including one or the other, I tried to edit both of them together, which caused some audio things um, and I some editing things I've never touched before. So that was very interesting, but it was a huge learning experience for me. Huge, 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 huge learning experience for me. So, excuse me. Now I feel that I am able to work with this stuff a little better. Right now, I'm currently using a Zoom interface that Dr. McKinney lent me a week or two ago that I was supposed to already have given back after I recorded this that I did not record. Dr. McKinney, you are the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for letting me use your stuff. Uh, trust me, I'm taking good care of it. I promise. I promise so much. Um, so, yeah. That is that update. But then I did. Oh, I just got an email. I'm so sorry. Poop. No. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, so I would just, the next thing I wanted to say was thank you for everyone who helped me with this, like Zeon, Vitressa, Jalen, TJ, like even my friend Joseph, like he helped me with a lot of like writing my scripts and figuring out some ideas and Medina for looking up my um, my logos because Medina is like great at marketing and Dr. Coles for getting me an interface or uh, putting an old one in there or like talking to me about the project and what's my next steps. He's my faculty mentor, guys. Dr. Coles is super cool. Drew cool. Drew Coles, Drew Coles, super cool guy, or Dr. McKenney Free for letting me lend his stuff. All the teachers at Crane who told me they listened to my podcast, who uh, really resonated with it and like want to do something different in their classrooms, like that meant a lot to me, and it meant a lot that it meant so much so much to everybody around me that I didn't realize it would. So I guess. Then this is the part where I'd be like, life updates, right? Life updates. What's going on with me? I am struggling. Um, you'll hear me make those jokes quite a bit. But yeah, I am, I'm doing good. I'm doing good for the most part, you know. I am, I currently, I feel like for you guys to understand the things that's happening, uh, am I not recording anymore? Oh no, I still am recording. Oh my goodness. 
wow okay yeah i told you i'm learning um so i feel like for you guys to understand what's going on i think i have to explain myself a little bit we all know i'm in college we all know i go to suny pasta and crane school of music we all know i'm a music business major with voice concentration so i'm a presidential scholars i'm vice president of women's business i work at my college store I'm a busy girl, so sometimes I can get a little bit off track, and I've kind of found myself to be off track and not where I would want to be, so that's why I'm working on some time managing skills, and I'm hoping this project and this podcast kind of keeps me a little more self-disciplined, so that's the other thing that I'm hoping to do, but some updates project-wise, I'm hoping to get some cool people on here, really, really, really hoping. I've been talking to some people, and you know, waiting for them to get back to me and stuff. Uh, so that's really cool. Yeah. So those are the updates that I have for you. Um, so let's get into it. I literally just decided that I would just start with rock because when I started this project, I kind of started into Asian pop music. Why? I don't know. Cause a lot of it was just like, I want to know as much as I possibly can. And for some reason, I felt like I should start with the one thing that I know least about. So I went to like a Meta Moon Festival and like it was really cool and I learned a bunch of stuff about it. Then I was like struggling really hard and I felt like I couldn't come up with enough content to have out by the time I wanted to have this podcast out and talk about things and things like that. Um, I kind of wish that I was thinking that way at the beginning because now I'm like, okay, this is a learning experience for all of us because even if I'm giving you guys information that I'm researching, I'm still researching those things behind the scenes. So if I, like right now I'm going to start with a rock episode, I'm still going to be researching rock music even though it's not going to be put on, uh, everything's going to be put on the podcast. And then if I find really cool stuff, I'm trying not to say too many bad words, but I find really cool stuff, then I'll make another episode about like, something I found that was really cool. It's really just a learning experience for everyone. So yeah, I wanted to do Asian pop music, but then I started coming with some general questions and because I started to get into a rut, didn't know what I wanted to like start with. So I came up with some general questions and, um, then I started to look into rock music. Also, I was watching, <laughs> This is also really funny. I was watching the Queen movie, the Bohemian Rhapsody. They're rock music. Um, their genre is rock. And I didn't know Freddie Mercury was Indian. Didn't know. Had no idea. I was like, Freddie Mercury is a person of color. We don't talk about that. But the thing is, too, like, like being a person of color is more focused more in the United States than in other than some other countries that I realized, especially in like the UK and like London, like it is not super focused on as much as it is here. So I understand why that wasn't like, oh my goodness, Freddie Mercury is a person of color in a white rock band. What? Literally wrote the most legendary music ever. What? Like my brain was on fire. My brain was on fire that we did not know that about this man. I was like, huh? So yeah, so that's kind of like, it. my brain kind of works in spirals, but that's kind of where everything started to trickle into why I got into rock music at the first time. And then, and then I got into hip hop music and then I kind of was into the jazz music. So it was really out of order the way I got into the stuff that I was researching. But yeah, 
So this is where I'm going to start. All right, so let's just start from the beginning. So the first rock and roll record was Shaboom, which was recorded in 1954 by the rhythm and blues band called The Chords. You know the song like, life could be a dream, Shaboom, da 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 that song yeah that's that's life could be that's life could be a dream and they they basically created that song and they okay so they formed in the bronx in 1951 but they weren't signed to anything until 1954 and they had they were discovered singing on a train station period i'm telling you everything was made in the bronx everything hip-hop music now rock and roll come on now we're really living i'm in the i'm from the bronx by the way if you did not know i'm from the bronx all right i'm a city girl okay um but yeah they created the song they came became very big because of this record it was like a bebop and rhythm and blues piece uh and then they became top 10 on they came on the top 10 list on the pop charts and but they after that they were like super successful but at this point and recently reaching blah, blah, researching them i was really confused what like considered them to be rock because if you listen to that song like that is not our definition of rock like rock has transformed but i guess you can say the same thing about hip-hop like if you listen to back in the day hip-hop like dj cool herc scratching on the scratching on his vinyls and at a party like just sounding like like you know what i'm saying like that's different from what we hip-hop we know now you know what i mean no one spits and rhymes the same way that they used to so not rock and roll does not sound the same that it did now and then like even the same conversation i had with dr dudley like which you guys will hear in next week because i'm gonna do it next week and i'm gonna get irb approved i promise Anyway, so just like what I talked about with Dr. Dudley about Buddy Bolden. Buddy Bolden is this like the creator of jazz, and but he has no recordings of him. But he is just a, a, a he's just a tale. Like people talk about him. Like yeah, Buddy Bolden when he used to play, but you know Dr. Dudley was like the instruments were so different then. Like people, what people are using to play jazz music was so different. Like the banjo like you, you know no one uses a banjo to play music now like the percussion instruments they used to use no one's using like yeah use drums and jazz but like use percussion and jazz but it's like the percussion instruments were probably so much different in the 1800s than it is now you know so we don't know what jazz music used to sound like then that transformation must be insane it could, could sound completely different from what we know as jazz so when I was thinking about that question, like, oh, why was this considered jazz, like rock and roll? And it was really because like the the DJ, a DJ, he called it rock and roll. And that's when it started that like fuse of like rhythm and blues. It was a white DJ. They called white DJs desk jockeys. And then the people who like the black DJs who were to like primarily for black audiences were DJs, which is so interesting to me why they, they're both DJs. Like they're both DJs, but they were named differently because one was for a white audience and one was for a black audience. That was actually really interesting to me. So, <laughs> oh my God, this mic is clipping so bad.
I'm just turning down the levels a little bit. Just turning down the levels. Okay, so hopefully it doesn't clip as bad anymore. But yeah, I thought that was really weird. So yeah, that white DJ, I think his name. Oh poop, I forgot his name, guys. But he had he was the first person to refer to rock and roll, and that's where it became rock and roll, you know. Um, but then a lot of times what happened with um, Shaboom was that a bunch of white people started to cover it and they started to cover a bunch of rhythm and blues groups and then they made they became more popular than the original because obviously at the time white people had more better promoters better support better aid like they had just they were they had the access to be able to spread their sound around you know what i mean at that time so but this was like super common though like it was super common for white people to take black music and make it something western or different i western is probably not the best term because rock music is a combination of western rhythm and blues and pop like it says i read a book it's called the music of black americans ed from the crane school of music library gave it to me love that man gave me so many books to read and I was reading the rock and roll section, and it does state that it is a a, riv- a fusion of rhythm, blues, pop, and country western elements. So, so yeah, so white people like they just had the aid for it. Like they they were covering shit, and at the time, like copyright laws weren't like accessible to black people, like. They, you know, black people didn't have rights, period, <laughs> you know? So this is super common. Like for Little Richard's Tutti Fruity, everybody was covering Tutti Fruity. Etta James, Roll With Me, everybody was covering that. And because of the large white audiences, those covers sold bigger than the originals did. Also, at the time, too, radio at that time could really make or break you, bro. Like, that shit was crazy. Oh, man, I keep saying bad words. Anyway, that shit was crazy. Like, radio can really make or break you. So, therefore, like, the DJ had the power, or your desk jockey, the white DJ, had the power to sit here and be like, yeah, now this is fire. This is fire. Everyone should listen to this. But it's not like that anymore, you know? And I feel, and, like... I don't know if that's like a good or bad thing because I kind of like the radio. I kind of like listening to the radio. It's kind of refreshing, you know, but like it's different. It's really different now. Like you, no one needs the radio to be big. Everyone needs social media now to be big. Um, oh, and I found his name. The white DJ who used rock and roll for the first time was Alan Freed. All right. So now moving from like that original, those original origins of rock and roll, now we have Chuck Berry, the man of many names. (laughs) So Chuck Berry used many of the blues elements and incorporated different instruments such as his electric guitar, which was like his big thing, like his electric guitar, like him using that electric guitar in within rhythm and blues really made the sound of what rock music is. Um... He also created the Dutch walk. So if you ever see a rock and roller hold his guitar with one foot in the air, like I feel like everyone knows what I'm talking about, like one foot just kind of hanging. That was created by 
Chuck Berry. And I was watching videos. And I was like, every motherfucker does that shit. I thought that was insane. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh my God. Everyone does that. Everyone does that. Um, so he was a creator of rock and roll. He's described as a creator of rock and roll. And he inspired many rock groups, such as the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And then... Chuck Berry created like Dirty Days, Johnny B. Good, Run Rudolph, Run, 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 Rudolph. Yeah, that one. And Johnny and Johnny B. Good. Uh, Keith Richards described Chuck Berry. Keith Richards is in the Rolling Stones. Described Chuck Berry as the granddaddy of rock and roll. So I feel like okay. So in the book, like in the book, the black, the music of Black Americans, they did say that like Keith Richards and the people from the Beatles very much was like, yeah, no, we know this where our, this music comes from. Like we credited, credited, um, but people of color, but like to think that the inspiration, like they did the similar things to what a lot of white pop artists did was, yeah, no, I'm going to take this, use it for myself and like change it slightly because their song, uh, Get No Satisfaction is really similar to one of his songs. Give me one second. I think it's Dirty Days. Yeah, Dirty Days. He was a big inspiration. So he his song, I Get No Satisfaction, that guitar line sounds super similar to, to Chuck Berry's guitar line from Dirty Days. And I know nothing about the guitar. But I was literally listening to it. I was like, What? No way. But you can say that's something similar to, like, the Pharrell Williams and Marvin Gaye situation. Like, you know, Pharrell Williams probably would just listen to something or sampled something. However, I just thought it was so interesting that the Rolling Stones denied these facts until a lot later in their lives. You know, Keith Richards denied this a lot later into his life. Um, But fun fact... And this is actually a really cool fun fact. Chuck Berry punched Keith Richards in the face for touching his guitar backstage of a concert. So Keith Richards is sitting there and he said this in an interview too. And this was so funny. And he was just like, oh shoot, like that's a cool ass guitar. I want to touch it. Chuck Berry comes in, boom, punches in the face. Don't touch my guitar. Takes that shit. I was like, oh, what? Oh, what? But you know what? Don't touch the man's guitar. I don't know what to say. Oh, there's a bug in front of me. Okay. But yeah, so Keith, but Keith Richards does talk about later, like in his life, like his influence from Chuck Berry. So he goes, Chuck, Chuck is the granddaddy of us all. Even if you're a rock guitarist who wouldn't name him as your main influence, your main influence is still influenced by Chuck Berry. He is a rock and roll. He is rock and roll in its pure essence. Keith Richards states this to Rolling Stone, like the, um, the magazine Rolling Stone. So he came about in 1954 along with his pianist Fats Domino. And they were both like rock and roll poets. I wish I went into Fats Domino a little more, but he was very, very famous as well at his time. And then I also did some research on Chuck Berry's like views on him being black, his experiences being black as a musician. 
Uh, but he didn't like a lot of political stuff. He he would make it apparent. And there's a lot of um, black artists to say that, you know, their music is very universal. Like, their music is universal. Anyone can play their music. Uh, Chuck's various opinion on political and human rights were hidden in his music due to his worried about his losing his career. So later in his life, he began to speak about his music and the meanings behind some of them, such as Country Boy was supposed to be Colored Boy, which I thought was so interesting that he had to change lyrics and change words to his songs that were like super important to him. But due to those like those changes and like him not wanting to lose his career, he changed them. I thought that was insane that he felt like he didn't really have much of a voice. Now... We're making a huge jump <laughs> to Jimi Hendrix. I love Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was like the 1960s. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, okay. So sorry, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. Um, Jimi Hendrix, wanted to double check. Jimi Hendrix was the 1960s. And he was really, 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 really famous for his like electric guitar playing and his experimental sound. So this man used to play with his mouth. This man used to play with his mouth, his guitar upside down, the guitar behind his back. He did not read no music, no music at all. I thought that was crazy. Like literally I was sitting here like no music. You didn't read no music. You didn't, you didn't do any of that. Um, so Jimi Hendrix was the number one guitarist in the world, intellectual, spiritual, and he created a new sound to rock and roll. He had used his electric guitar in a series of ways. He was very experimental with music. And uh, like I said, he didn't read any music. He played backup for Little Richard's band, the Chitlin Circuit, uh, the R&B circuit, and he played with many of the most famous R&B uh, performers and he was described to be interesting to work with he also signed with curtis knight and the squires and he played with them in harlem uh he wanted the combination between the west village and in harlem so he did play in west village which was like that hippie yippie like you know everybody was doing drugs everybody was doing their thing so so he played back up for little richard's band and the chitlin circuit uh, the, which is the R&B circuit, and he played with many of the most famous R&B singers and performers. He was described to be very interesting to work with. He also signed with Curtis Knight and the Squires, and he played with them in Harlem. He wanted a combination between the West Village and in Harlem. So he played in the West Village as well, which is predominantly a white area. You know what I mean? But he played with them. He did a lot of drugs with them, a lot of drugs with them, a lot, a lot of drugs with them. Um... But he was not accepted in Harlem because of the way he dressed and his aspects of wanting to experiment. So a lot of the issue was that the people he was playing with wanted to strictly play rhythm and blues. Like they did not give a fuck about this hippy dippy shit that he was bringing back from the West Village. Did not care. He, they didn't care. They were like, bro, we want to play rhythm and blues. We're not trying to play your experimental stuff. Didn't care. Um, which I guess I get because it's like, you know, if you have a sound, you want to stick to the sound. But the village was very accepting to Jimi Hendrix and he was able to flourish 
flourish there due to his wants to explore and his and he was exposed to psychedelics which made his eyes open to the world um so this is really funny but this is really funny because when i was watching an interview like a documentary by uh like for Jimi hendrix they described it just like that they're like his eyes opened up his world was amazed you know like because he was taking these drugs they felt like the drugs made him encounter with music and i literally thought that was insane i was like what what the the drugs made you touch music but you know that's just drug you know like Come on now. Like, you know, you're high, you see colors. You know what? I'm going to stop talking. Anyway, so he, um, Jimmy, and they also said Jimmy was playing Ruby Van Blues from the distance. So every, even though, like, a lot of black people felt like he started to play the white people's music, which he wasn't the white music, people's music because Jimmy Hendrix was experimental. He literally created this genre, this separate genre of rock music, It's which is what we really hear of what rock music is now, is what... Jimi Hendrix created so like even though he was more accepted to the white audience he wasn't really playing white music so something a quote that I pulled out was like Jimmy was playing rhythm and blues from the distance like so everything he was playing still had a lot of rhythm and blues um, influences no matter what he was just playing them distorted um, and he loved Elvis little, and loved Little Richard and T-Bone. He was described as a genius and someone who electrifies the audience and was able to play the guitar upside down and with his mouth anyway. He was described as a black man who played the white man's music and he was never talked about his race. He was just seen as a musical genius who happened to be black, which later in society people saw as odd due to him being so heavily influenced by jazz music. This is something that I found really odd too. Like, I thought it was weird because growing up, I did not know Jimi Hendrix was black. I did not know. I knew nothing about Jimi Hendrix. I was like, who? Jimi Hendrix, who? But I knew he was like heavy in the rock world. I wasn't really into rock growing up. That wasn't my thing. I was a more Hannah Montana girl. I wasn't really into him. And he had stuff growing up, but, um, I had no knowledge that Jimi Hendrix was a black man, which is so interesting to me because why don't we learn that in our musical, our music classrooms about Jimi Hendrix is like one of our, our legends, you know, who created one of the biggest genres, like who is a contributor to creating one of the biggest genres that we have rock music. Um, So he's like, he was just really odd. He, and he was just an odd dude. And everyone said that, but he was so heavily influenced by jazz music. But I'm really intrigued by Jimi Hendrix's story. I think it's really sad and disheartening, but at the same time, he's used all of that sadness and disheartening in his music. Like his song, Castle Hill of, Castle Hill of Sand is about all of Jimmy's like childhood traumas. And a lot of music was about his life and his experiences. But um, he was also saying to a lot of people that race mattered more to Hendrix than most people realize. So uh, he was hurt by black radios refusing to play his music. And he experienced like a lot of racism during his time at, 
in the R&B. And some of his most famous songs were profoundly shaped by his experience as a black man in America. He left New York and went to London to be famous and became a top 10 artist. And he played in many of the nightclubs that were in London. And he got a lot of respect from the guitar and musicians community over there. He was accepted more in London than in the United States, and some of the documentary described it to be from a place of jealousy from other artists in the United States. Many people didn't understand his idea of combining the ideas of both black and white and enjoying his sound, which may like which makes sense. And this was another topic that I was talking to about my, with my friend Joe, and I was just telling him like, I think it's really sad that this happened to Jimi Hendrix, like that he wasn't really accepted into our community. Like, as a black community, you'd think that if we came up with something that's different and new, we would, op- like, with open arms accept that, you know? But we didn't. So that was, like, super interesting to me that we something that we created, we pushed away. So I felt like some something that was just weird. Like, I was just like, huh? So... It was kind of like Jimi Hendrix was low key alone. Like it was, it was just so sad. That just broke. It broke my heart to a million pieces. That uh, that that was something that was stated in a documentary. Uh, and so he didn't believe in putting himself in a box, and he spoke about his dislikes of politics and organized religion, um, and the idea of what uh, what is black and white needs to be gone before we can live har- harmoniously. That was what he had said in an interview. So then he also explained about why he went to London and he just kind of was like, look, playing in the United States, there's so many things like I'm black. I have to be this. I can't just be existing. Like I just can't play my guitar. I have to be black and playing my guitar. I have to be playing for the, for black people or I have to be playing for white people. Like, I can't just be playing to play. And that was his whole thing. Like, why can't I just be a person who's playing music who happens to be black? Why do I have to be this black person playing music and being categorized? So he had stated that there are so many hangups in America, mental hangups. Um... But Jimi Hendrix did many times form his own scenes of protest. Like, uh, I hope I'm saying this right. Jimi Hendrix in Woodstock, I think it is. Jimi Hendrix in Woodstock. I just want to double check because I do not want to fuck that up. But he had played the Star Spickle Banner at this music festival, I believe, yeah, Woodstock, 1969, National Anthem. He played uh, the National Anthem super distorted, and it was, like, just showing, like, the pain and the things that America's done, and, like, and so he played it just, like, distorted, and, like, and you felt everything, but it was beautiful. It was crazy. I sat with Dr. Levinson watching that thing, and I was like, no, this is super cool. So I love Jimi Hendrix's story. I really do find it interesting that, you know, that he wasn't fully accepted in his community, but then he wasn't fully accepted in the other communities that he was in. 
And so, but he still found a way to just play and love what he was doing and just be himself, which I feel like that's something that many musicians today do not emulate. And not, and then I don't want to shit on artists and musicians today, but I do sometimes feel like there are things that are not different and that there's so many frown against artists being different and artists trying new things and having new things or being original. Like, you know what I mean? So I just found that interesting about Jimi Hendrix. I really love Jimi Hendrix's story, but, uh, that is why I named this pot. This episode was Chuck Berry and Jimi Hendrix ahead of their time. Because what's similar about the both of them is their, uh, their ideas of wanting their music to be universal. Their ideas of like, why does it have to be a black man? This why does it have to be like? Why can't I just play to play? You know. Why can't I just play my music for everyone? Um, and those ideas were very ahead of their time because. People did not feel that way. People felt like there was their black music and there was white music. And then, oh, and another thing I didn't bring up. So so the reason why I was saying that he wasn't fully accepted in the black community was at a certain time, too, he want, he played in Harlem again. After like having his little long career in London, he came back to Harlem and he played at the Apollo. Uh, and at the Apollo... He was booed off stage by the people in his community. And that was simply because they were felt like he was playing the white music. And he they felt like he was low-key like betraying them by playing the white music. Um, but in his head, he was going over there to show them the music that he's created. Like, look, like I came, I'm coming back to my roots. I'm coming back to my roots and come back where I came from. But they didn't feel that way. They didn't. So, yeah, I think those two uh, stories are so fascinating, so interesting. And those are the origins of rock. And, yeah. But I do want to end off on a brighter note. So, this is a segment. I really wanted to do this segment with my last group. I forgot to do it with Dr. Dudley. I'm probably going to edit myself doing one. And so this segment is called The Music That Speaks to Me. And it's all about just of the music that speaks to me at this moment. It could be music that was referring to this episode. It can be music that's just music that I've been listening to for no reason. I'm going to ask guests to do it with me. It could just be a bunch of things. It could be dumb things. It could be something fun. Um, so, the music that speaks to me lately. You know, guys, <laughs> I'm a huge J. Cole fan. I love him so much. But, oh my God, what am I talking about? Okay, so I'm really trying to think about the music that speaks to me. I'm a huge J. Cole fan, so his, usually his stuff really does speak to me. I really listen to K.O.D., I realized I didn't like KOD that much. Realized it, realized it, realized it. But I do like his song Photographs because I think it's a cute song. Like, you fell in love through a photograph? You don't think that shit is cute? Okay, yeah, but yeah. I'm a huge J. Cole fan. And I love, love, love Ari Lennox. 
uh, Ari Lennox right now. I love her. Listen to her whole album over and over again. Her song, New Apartment. Her song, I Been. Everyone needs to check out Ari Lennox. Okay? Because she's fantastic. She's fantastic. I will say that. Up and down and left. She is fantastic. But yeah, I want to make sure I thank everyone for <laughs> for being here and letting me talk to you about rock music and i'm hoping that my next episode is definitely dr dudley dr dudley i'm so sorry and i'm gonna come out with it the next week because i technically am missing two episodes for you guys so i want to make sure i come out with them in a row and then i promise i promise i promise it will no longer be the sporadic stuff it will be every two weeks i promise i promise well i'm hoping you know what give me some slack i'm doing the best i can okay so i'm gonna end it here thank you guys and i hope you all enjoyed listening to musically driven my next episode i just said should be out next week so make sure you stay listening goodbye (laughs) hello